Chapter Five, Part Two, of the General History of the Pirates, Volume One. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Mike Harris. The General History of the Pirates, Volume One, by Charles Johnson, Chapter Five, Part Two. For the better elucidating of this story, it may be convenient to inform the reader why Angria is, and what the fleet were, that had so scurvily behaved themselves. Angria is a famous Indian pirate, of considerable strength and territories, that gives continual disturbance to the European, especially the English, trade. His chief hold is Calaba, not many leagues from Bombay, and has one island in sight of that port whereby he gains frequent opportunities of annoying the company. It would not be so insuperable a difficulty to suppress him if the shallowness of the water did not prevent ships of war coming nigh. And a better art he has of bribing the Mughal's ministers for protection when he finds an enemy too powerful. In the year 1720 the Bombay fleet consisted of four grabs, ships built in India by the company, which have three masts, a prow like a row galley, instead of a boat-sprit, about one hundred fifty tons, are officered and armed like a man-of-war for the defense and protection of the trade. The London, Chandois, and two other ships with Galavats, who, besides their proper complements, carried down a thousand men to bombard and batter Gaira, a fort belonging to Angria, on the Malabar coast, which they have performed ineffectually were returning to Bombay, and, to make amends, fell in with the pirates, to the purpose has been already related. Captain Uppen, commodore of that fleet, prudently objecting to Mr. Brown, who went general, that the ships were not to be hazarded, since they sailed without their governor Boone's orders to engage, and besides, that they did not come out with such a design. This favorable opportunity of destroying the pirates angered the governor, and he transferred the command of the fleet to Captain Macrab, who had orders immediately to pursue and engage wherever he met them. The Viceroy of Goa, assisted by the English company's fleet from Bombay, did attempt the reduction of Calaba, his principal place, landed eight or ten thousand men the next year, the English squadron of men-of-war being then in those seas, but having viewed the fortification well, and expended some of their army by sickness and the fatigues of a camp, carefully withdrew again. I returned to the pirates, who, after they had sent away the Galavats people, resolved to cruise to the southward, and the next day, between Goa and Karwar, heard several guns which brought them to an anchor, and they sent their boat on the scent, who returned about two in the morning, and brought word of two grabs lying at anchor in the road. They weighed and ran toward the bay, till daylight gave the grabs sight of them, and was but just time enough to get under India Diva Castle out of their reach. This displeased the pirates the more, in that they wanted water, and some were for making a descent that night and taking the island. But it not being approved of by the majority, they proceeded to the southward, and took next in their way a small ship out of Honor Road, with only a Dutchman and two Portuguese on board. They sent one of these on shore to the captain to acquaint him, if he would supply them with some water and fresh provisions, he should have his ship again. And the master returned for answer by his mate Frank Harmless, that if they would deliver him possession over the bar, he would comply with their request. 
The proposal the mate thought was collusive, and they rather jumped into Harmless's opinion, who very honestly entered with them, and resolved to seek water at the Lacadiva Islands. So, having sent the other persons on shore with threats, that he should be the last man they would give quarter to, by reason of this uncivil usage, they put directly for the islands, and arrived there in three days, where, being informed by a Menshaw, they took with the governor of Canwar's pass, of there being no anchor ground among them, and Melinda being the next convenient island, they sent their boats on shore to see if there was any water, and whether it was inhabited or not, who returned with an answer to their satisfaction, viz., that there was abundance of good water, and many houses, but deserted by the men, who had fled to the neighboring islands on the approach of ships, and left only the women and children to guard one another. The women they forced in a barbarous manner to their lusts, and, to require them, destroyed their cocoa-trees, and fired several of their houses and churches, I suppose built by the Portuguese who formerly used there in their voyages to India. While they were at this island, they lost three or four anchors by the rockiness of the ground, freshness of winds, and at last were forced thence by a harder gale than ordinary, leaving seventy people, blacks and whites, and most of their water-casks. In ten days they regained the island again, filled their water, and took the people on board. Provisions were very scarce, and they now resolved to visit their good friends the Dutch at Cochin, who, if you will believe these rogues, never fail to supply gentlemen of their profession. After three days' sail they arrived off Telicherry, and took a small vessel belonging to Governor Adams, John Talk Master, whom they brought on board very drunk, and he, giving an account of Captain Macra's fitting out, put them in a tempest of passion. A villain, say they, that we have treated so civilly as to give him a ship and other presents, and now to be armed against us, he ought to be hanged, and since we cannot show our resentment on him, let us hang the dogs his people, who wish him well, and would do the same, if clear. If it be in my power, says the quartermaster, both masters and officers of ships shall be carried with us for the future, only to plague them, damned England. Hence they proceeded to Calicut, where they endeavoured to take a large moor ship out of the road, but was prevented by some guns mounted on shore and discharged at them. Mr. Lazenby, who was one of Captain Macraw's officers and detained, was under the deck at this time, and commanded both by the captain and quartermaster of the pirates to tend the braces on the booms, in hopes, it was believed, a shot would take him before they got clear, asking the reason why he was not there before and when he would have excused himself, threatened on the like neglect to shoot him, at which the other, beginning to expostulate further, and claim their promise of putting him ashore, got an unmerciful beating from the quartermaster. Captain Taylor, who was now successor to Captain England, and whose privilege it was to do so, being lame of his hands, and unable. The next day, in their passage down, came up with a Dutch galliot, bound for Calicut with limestone, and aboard of her they put Captain Talk and sent him away, and several of the people interceded for Lazenby in vain. For, says Taylor and his party, if we let this dog go, who has heard our designs and resolutions, we overset all our well-advised projections, and particularly this supply we are now seeking for at the hands of the Dutch. It was but one day more before they arrived off Cochin, where, by a fishing canoe, they sent a letter on shore, and in the afternoon, with the sea-breeze, ran into the road and anchored, 
saluting the fort with eleven guns each ship, and received the return in an equal number. A good omen of the welcome reception they found, for at night there came on board a large boat deeply laden with fresh provisions and liquors, and with it a servant, of a favorable inhabitant, called John Trumpet. He told them they must immediately weigh and run farther to the southward, where they should be supplied with all things they wanted, naval stores or provisions. They had not been long at anchor again before they had several canoes on board with both black and white inhabitants, who continued without interruption all good offices during their stay. Particularly John Trumpet brought a large boat of arrack, than which nothing could be more pleasing, about ninety ledgers, as also sixty bales of sugar, an offering, it's presumed, from the governor and his daughter, who in return had a fine table-clock sent him, the plunder of Captain Macraw's ship and she a large gold watch, earnests of the pay they designed to make. When they had all on board, they paid Mr. Trumpet to his satisfaction. It was computed six or seven thousand pounds. It gave him good three cheers, eleven guns each ship, and throwed ducatoons into his boat by the handfuls, for the boatman to scramble for. That night being little wind did not weigh, and Trumpet in the morning, waked them to the sight of more arrack, chests of peace-goods, and ready-made clothes, bringing the fiscal of the place also with him. At noon, while those were on board, saw a sail to the southward, which they weighed and chased after, but she having a good offing, got to the northward of them, and anchored a small distance from Cochin Fort. The aforementioned gentlemen, assuring them that they would not be molested in taking her from under the castle, solicited beforehand for the buying her, and advised them to stand in, which they did boldly, to board her. But when they came within a cable's length or two of the chase, now near shore, the fort fired two small guns, whose shot falling nigh their muzzles, they instantly bore out of the road, made an easy sail to the southward, and anchored at night in their former berth, where John Trumpet, to engage their stay a little longer, informed them that in a few days a very rich ship was to pass by, commanded by the general of Bombay's brother. This governor is an emblem of foreign power. What inconvenience and injury must the master's subjects sustain under one who can truckle to such treacherous and base means as corresponding and trading with pirates to enrich himself? Certainly such a man will stickle at no injustice to repair or make a fortune. He has the argumentum basiluma always in his hands, and can convince when he pleases in half the time of other arguments that fraud and oppression is law, that he employs instruments in such dirty work, expresses the guilt and shame, but no way mitigates the crime. John Trumpet was the tool, but, as the dog said in the fable on another occasion, what is done by the master's orders is the master's actions. I cannot but reflect on this occasion what a vile government Sancho Pancho had of it. He had not only such perquisites rescinded, but was really almost starved. The victuals taken from him almost every day, and only under a pretense of preserving his excellency's health. But governments differ. From Cochin some were for proceeding to Madagascar directly, others thought it proper to cruise till they got a store-ship, and these being the majority they plied to the southward and after some days saw a ship in shore, which being to windward of them they could not get nigh, till the sea-wind and night favouring they separated, 
one to the northward, the other to the southward, thinking to enclose her between. But to their astonishment, and contrary to expectation, when day broke, instead of the chase, found themselves very near five sail of tall ships, who, immediately making a signal for the pirates to bear down, put them in the utmost confusion, particularly Taylor's ship, because their consort was at a distance from them, at least three leagues to the southward, they stood to one another and joined, and then together made the best of their way from the fleet, whom they judged to be commanded by Captain Macraw, of whose courage, having experience, they were glad to shun any further taste of. In three hours' chase, none of the fleet gaining upon them, excepting one grab, their dejected countenances cleared up again, the more in that a calm succeeded for the remainder of that day, and in the night, with the land-wind, they ran directly offshore, and found, next day, to their great consolation, that they had lost sight of all the fleet. This danger escaped, they proposed to spend Christmas, the Christmas of 1720, in carousing and forgetfulness, and kept it for three days in a wanton and riotous way, not only eating, but wasting their fresh provisions in so wretched and inconsiderable a manner, that when they had agreed after this to proceed to Mauritius, they were in that passage at an allowance of a bottle of water per diem, and not above two pounds of beef and a small quantity of rice for ten men for a day. So that had it not been for the leaky ship, which once they were about to have quitted and had done, but for a quantity of arrack and sugar she had on board, they most of them would have perished. In this condition they arrived at the island of Mauritius about the middle of February, sheathed and refitted the victory, and on the 5th of April sailed again, leaving this terrible inscription on one of the walls, Left this place the 5th of April to go to Madagascar for limes, and this least, like lawyers and men of business, any visits should be paid in their absence. However, they did not sail directly for Madagascar, but the island Mascarene, and luckily, as rogues could wish, they found at their arrival on the 8th a Portuguese ship at anchor of seventy guns, but most of them thrown overboard, her masts lost, and so much disabled by a violent storm they had met in the latitude of thirteen degrees south, that she became a prize to the pirates, with very little or no resistance, and a glorious one indeed, having the Conde de Arecra, viceroy of Goa, who made that fruitless expedition against Angria the Indian, and several other passengers on board who, as they could not be ignorant of the treasure she had in, did assert that in the single article of diamonds there was to the value of between three and four millions of dollars. The viceroy, who came on board that morning in expectation of the ship's being English, was made a prisoner, and obliged to ransom. But, in consideration of his great loss, the prize being part his own, they agreed after some demurrings to accept two thousand dollars, and set him and the other prisoners ashore, with promises to leave a ship that they might transport themselves, because the island was not thought in a condition to maintain so great a number. And though they had learned from them the account of an Ostender being to leeward of the island, which they took on that information, being formerly the Greyhound Galley of London, and could conveniently have complied with so reasonable a request, yet they sent the Ostander with some of their people to Madagascar with news of their success, and to prepare masts for the prize, and followed themselves soon after, without regard to the sufferers carrying two hundred Mozambique negroes with them in the Portuguese ship. 
Madagascar is an island larger than Great Britain, most of it within the Tropic of Capricorn, and lays east from the eastern side of Africa. It abounds with provisions of all sorts, oxen, goats, sheep, poultry, fish, citrons, oranges, tamarinds, dates, coconuts, bananas, wax, honey, rice, or, in short, cotton, indigo, or any other thing they will take pains to plant, and have understanding to manage. They have likewise ebony, a hard wood like Brazil, of which they make their lances, and gum of several sorts, benzin, dragon blood, aloes, etc. What is most incommodious are the numerous swarms of locusts on the land, and crocodiles or alligators in their rivers. Hither, in St. Augustine's Bay, the ships sometimes touch for water, when they take the inner passage for India, and do not design to stop at Joanna. And we may observe from the sixth general voyage set forth by the East India Company, in confirmation of what is hereafter said in relation to currents in general, that this inner passage, or channel, has its northern and southern currents strongest, where the channel is narrowest, and is less and varies on different points of the compass, as the sea comes to spread again in the passage across the line. Since the discovery of this island by the Portuguese, A.D. 1506, the Europeans, and particularly pirates, have increased a dark mulatto race. There, though still few in comparison with the natives, who are negroes with curled short hair, active and formerly represented malicious and revengeful, now tractable and communicable, perhaps owing to the favors and generosity in clothing and liquors they from time to time have received from these fellows, who live in all possible friendship, and can, any single man of them, command a guard of two or three hundred at a minute's warning. This is farther the native's interest to cultivate with them, because the island being divided into petty governments and commands, the pirates settled here, who are now a considerable number and have little castles of their own, can preponderate wherever they think fit to aside. When Taylor came with the Portuguese prize here, they found the Ostender had played their men a trick, for they took advantage of their drink, rise upon them, and, as they heard afterwards, carried the ship to Mozambique, whence the governor ordered her for Goa. Here the pirates came, cleaned the Cassandra, and divided their plunder, sharing forty-two small diamonds a man or in less proportion according to their magnitude, an ignorant or a merry fellow who had only one in this division as being judged equal in value to forty-two small, muttered very much at the lot, and went and broke it in a mortar, swearing afterwards he had a better share than any of them, for he had beat it, he said, into forty-three sparks. Those who were not for running the hazard of their necks with forty-two diamonds, besides other treasure in their pockets, knocked off and stayed with their old acquaintance in Madagascar, on mutual agreements, the longer livers to take all, the residue having, therefore, no occasion for two ships, the victory being leaky, she was burnt. The men, as many as would, coming into the Cassandra under the command of Taylor, whom we must leave for a time, projecting either for Cochin to dispose of their diamonds among their old friends the Dutch, or else for the Red or China Seas, to avoid the men of war that continually clamoured in their ears a noise of danger, and give the little account we are able of that squadron, who arrived in India early in the year 1721. At Cape Good Hope, in June, 
the Commodore met with a letter which was left for him by the Governor of Madras, to whom it was wrote by the Governor of Pondicherry, a French factory on the Coromandel coast, signifying the pirates at the writing of it, were then strong in the Indian seas, having eleven sail and fifteen hundred men, but that many of them went away about that time for the coast of Brazil and Guinea. Others settled and fortified themselves at Madagascar, Mauritius, Joanna, and Mohilla, and that others under Condon in a ship called the Dragon took a large Moors vessel coming from Iuda and Moco, with thirteen lackeys of rupees on board, i.e. a million three hundred thousand half-crowns who, having divided the plunder, burnt their ship and prize, and sat down quietly with their other friends at Madagascar. The account contains several other things which we have before related. Commodore Matthews, upon receiving this intelligence, and being fond of the service he came out for, hastened to those islands as the most hopeful places of success. At St. Mary's would have engaged England with promises of favour, if he would communicate what he knew concerning the Cassandra, and the rest of the pirates, and assist in the pilotage. But Captain England was wary, and thought this was to surrender at discretion. So they took up the Judah ship's guns that was burnt, and the men of war dispersed themselves on several voyages and cruises afterwards, as was thought likeliest to succeed, though to no purpose. Then the squadron went down to Bombay, were saluted by the fort, and came home. The pirates, I mean those of the Cassandra, now Captain Taylor, fitted the Portuguese man-of-war, and resolved upon another voyage to the Indies, notwithstanding the riches they had heaped up. But as they were preparing to sail, they heard of four men-of-war coming after them to those seas. Therefore they altered their minds, sailed for the main of Africa, and put in at a little place called Delagoa, near the river de Spiritu Santo, on the coast of Monomotapa, in 268 south latitude, they believed this to be a place of security, in regard that the squadron could not possibly get intelligence of them, there being no correspondence over land, nor any trade carried on by sea, between that and the Cape, where the men of war were then supposed to be. The pirates came too in the evening, and were surprised with a few shot from the shore, not knowing of any fortification or European settlement in that part of the world. So they anchored at a distance that night, and, perceiving in the morning a small fort of six guns, they ran up to it and battered it down. This fort was built and settled by the Dutch East India Company a few months before, for what purpose I know not, and having left one hundred fifty men upon the place, they were then dwindled to a third part by sickness and casualties, and never after received any relief or necessaries so that sixteen of those that were left upon their humble petition were admitted on board the pirates, and all the rest would have had the same favour, they said, had they been any other than Dutch. I mention this as an instance of their ingratitude, who had been so much obliged to their countrymen for support. Here they stayed above four months, careened both their ships, and took their diversions with security, till they had expended all their provisions, and then put to sea, leaving considerable quantities of muslins, chintzes, and such goods behind, to the half-starved Dutchmen, which enabled them to make good pennyworths to the next that came, to whom they bartered for provisions at the rate of three farthings an English yard. They left Delagoa the latter end of December, 1722, but not agreeing where or how to proceed, they concluded to part, so those who were for continuing that sort of life went on board the Portuguese prize, 
and steered for Madagascar to their friends, with whom I hear they are now settled, and the rest took the Cassandra and sailed for the Spanish West Indies. The mermaid, man of war, happening then to be down on the main with a convoy about thirty leagues from these pirates, would have gone and attacked them, but on a consultation of the masters, whose safety he was particularly to regard, they agreed their own protection was of more service than destroying the pirate, and so the commander was unwillingly withheld. He dispatched a sloop to Jamaica with the news which brought down the Lanceston only a day or two too late, they having just before he came surrendered with all their riches to the governor of Portobello. Here they sat down to spend the fruits of their dishonest industry, dividing the spoil and plunder of nations among themselves, without the least remorse or compunction, satisfying their conscience with this salvo, that other people would have done as much had they the like opportunities. I can't say, but that if they had known what was doing in England at the same time by the South Sea directors, and their directors, they would certainly have had this reflection for their consolation, viz. that whatever robberies they had committed, they might be pretty sure they were not the greatest villains then living in the world. It's a difficult matter to make a computation of the mischief that was done by this crew in about five years' time, which is much more than the plunder they gained, for they often sunk or burnt the vessel they took, as it suited their humour or circumstances, sometimes to prevent giving intelligence, sometimes because they did not leave men to navigate them, and at other times out of wantonness, or because they were displeased at the master's behaviour. For one of these it was but to give the word, and down went the ships and cargoes to the bottom of the sea. Since their surrender to the Spaniards, I am informed several of them have left the place and dispersed themselves elsewhere. Eight of them were shipped about November last in one of the South Sea Company's Asiento sloops, and passed for shipwrecked men, came to Jamaica, and there sailed in other vessels, and I know one of them that came to England this spring from that island. Tis said that Captain Taylor has taken a commission in the Spanish service, and commanded the man-of-war that lately attacked the English logwood cutters in the Bay of Honduras. End of chapter 5, part 2 Recording by Mike Harris.